The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. Well, isn't it good to worship the Lord? That was worship. Amen? Um, Lord, fill me was a line in that song, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to break away from our study through Genesis, and I want to bring a message this morning that uh, the men shared in on Thursday night, uh, but I believe it's a message that really applies to all of us, and what we're going to talk about today is what I like to entitle a continual state of revival. Let me ask you a question starting uh, this. You know, I don't want you to raise your hand to answer the question that I'm about to pose, but I want you to ponder and reflect on the question and answer it within your own heart. And here's the question. Is there anyone here who would say, I am right where I want to be spiritually? Is there anybody here today that would say, I am right where I want to be spiritually? That, That... all the desires of my, my heart to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, to, to walk in Him, to walk in the goodness and the favor and the position that I am placed in. Is there anybody here that would say, I am right where I want to be? I hope your answer was no. If your answer is yes, then, then you may have a problem with arrogance or pride. As Zach reflected this morning as he was reading on the, in the Psalms, what, what I find as I read through the Psalms, and we just finished the Psalms in Daily on the, in the Word, uh, that, that every Psalm is filled with a longing to know God and to know Him more and to walk in His ways. When I read the letters of Paul, I don't find Paul saying, I have arrived and I'm where I want to be. As a matter of fact, Paul says, man, Jesus, I want to know you so much that I would even share in your sufferings. I I believe the mark of a born-again, spirit-filled Christ-following believer is that we always, always, always will have a desire to know Him more, and we recognize that He is not finished in this life, but when we see Him, we shall be as He is. Can I hear an amen to that? It's the desire that that we all have. Let me, let me clue you in on something. Every one of us have come into this room this morning or are watching through the live feed this morning who we have issues that in some way are keeping us from having that continual state of revival within our hearts and our lives. Let me mention a few of those and you may recognize them. Some have come in with worry and anxiety this morning and that has so overshadowed and clouded our hearts that we are not in a state of personal renewal or revival. In other words, that thing seems so big that it's blocking us, we imagine, from growing in what Christ has called us to grow in. Some have come in this morning with addictions that only you know about and nobody else knows. 
Some have come in this morning with marriage issues or maybe the marriage on the brink of separation and breakup. Some have come in with kid issues. Anybody have any kid issues this morning? Maybe adult children, where when they were little, you could fix their boo-boos pretty easily, but as they've become adults, their boo-boos are life-altering and changing, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to fix it. You can't put a Band-Aid on it. Some have come in with issues of jobs, stresses on the job, that it seems to consume all of your life, and you're like, how in the world can I ever be who God wants me to be in Christ because I've got this thing, and I feel like I'm stuck in a cycle day in and day out. Some have come in with a depressive state. And maybe there are issues, chemical issues of depression that are there. And we believe and somehow feel as though that thing is keeping me from having a continual state of revival. Some have come in with bitterness. You think you've gotten over it. You think you've gotten over that pain. You think you've gotten over that hurt. You think you've gotten over that violation. And there's that bitterness. And the moment I said the word bitterness, you recognize and realize it is still there against that person or against God. As I read the Scriptures... And I think about this personal renewal and this continual renewal of revival that we so desire to be in. I recognize and notice that that it is not a movement of revival that we need. What we need is personal revival. What JMO needs in his life is daily personal renewal and revival with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Throughout my years, I have studied quite extensively, great movements of revival. The the Wesley revivals, which led to the Great Awakening in in America, and later after that, the Second Great Awakening, the, the Welsh revival, the Hong Kong revival, all of these revivals. And Sandy and I came to Christ at the end of a period that some don't classify it as revival, and many of you did too, the Jesus movement. And we don't know what was happening. All we know is that people were coming to Jesus, and the body of Christ was waking up. And I've so longed, as many of you have, and I've prayed, I've asked God over and over, God, send revival in our land. God, bring a revival, and I want it to be a part of what I've read about in the history of the church where God just seems to set down and it's not contrived, it's not manipulated, it's not formulated, they're not fog machines that bring it in. But bona fide, God meeting his people with revival. But what I've recognized lately is that that may come, and that's up to the sovereignty of God. He does it when he wants to do it. But one thing I know that can come in my life and in your life is personal, daily, consistent revival in our lives. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Let me give a couple of definitions of revival. Charles Finney wrote this, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance. 
followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. He goes on to say this, Revival is not just evangelism, excitement, or emotionalism. It is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice that it is a movement of the Holy Spirit of God. We know that when we came to Christ, God filled us with the Holy Spirit. Amen? He sealed us in the faith by the Holy Spirit of God. He has given to us the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, who convicts us of sin and convinces us of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus so that we might walk in freedom in that. And Paul exhorts us to be filled with the Spirit daily. Personal renewal and revival is only by the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you grew up in churches where you had revival meetings every year? right? Um, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I ever really experienced revival through a one week out of the summer revival meeting. Now, I, I experienced some touches of God, but we so hope that these meeting times would bring in revival. And can I underline what he has said here? That revival is not a manufactured thing. We can't plan it. We can't bank on it. We can't program it. It is only by the Holy Spirit of God. Duncan Campbell defined revival as this. He said, revival is a, uh, is a community He's referring to the body of Christ, believers, a community of believers saturated with God. Leonard Ravenhill said this, As long as we are content to live without revival, we will. You see, personal renewal and revival starts with me. Personal renewal, continuing revival for you starts with you. As long as I'm content without revival in my life, in my walk, I will always remain without revival, he says. Revival is costly. It will cost you more, however, to miss than it will to find. Father, we pray That God, as we look at the psalmist, as he cries out, God, in his own life, God, what is a desire for personal revival, God, I pray that the words that are inspired by you, by the Holy Spirit of God, will prick every single one of our hearts. And God, that when we leave today, God, our daily prayer will be, God, revive me. I can't go on yesterday's filling, but God, I need you today. God, I can't go on yesterday's message, but God, I need to hear from you fresh and anew in your word today that, God, you would grow our hearts so hungry for you that, God, we would stay in a continual state of that desire. I want to take the text, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 169 this morning to share with you three points that we see in this psalm. I'm going to start reading there in verse 169, and you follow along with me through verse 176 to the end of the psalm. The psalmist begins to write, and he says, Let me cry, let my cry come before you, O Lord. 
Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Then my lips will pour forth praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. O oh God, I long for your salvation, O oh Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. God, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments." The first thing that we see the psalmist cry out in here is he cries out, God, would you touch me? Lord, I need a fresh touch from you today. How many would say this morning that you need a fresh touch from God, the Holy Spirit, this morning? The psalmist here cries out, God, touch me. And what we recognize and we see in the language that, that he uses, he starts and he says it three different times. He uses this phrase, or four different times, actually. He says, God, would you let my cry? God, would you let my plea? God, would you let my soul? And what the psalmist is crying out is, God, would you permit my cry to come before you? God, would you permit me to pour out? God, would you permit me to be touched in my soul by the Holy Spirit of God? Somebody said this, and I believe it's right, that when we get desperate for God, we can get through to God. When we get desperate for God, we can get through to God. Now, I, like you, have had many times of desperation in my life where I have cried out to God and I've said, Oh, God. You know, you know those prayers where you really can't articulate anything, but it's just, Oh, God, right? But most often, my cries out to God in desperation are, God, would you get me out of this situation that I've gotten myself into? God, would you help me in this situation? God, I don't know what to do in this situation. God, would you come? And those are okay. But what the psalmist here is talking about, and when we talk about being desperate for God, it is a desperation for more of God, to know him more, and to have more of our lives yielded over to him, that God, nothing else satisfies. And God, the only thing that will satisfy me is more of you. It's that kind of desperation that David cries out in the psalm when he says, As the deer pants for the water, God, so my soul longs after you. And you can picture the gazelle or the deer in the desert where there's very little water. As, in, as it's run and run and run, it's panting and it needs water to fill its thirst. Oh, God, as the deer pants for the water, God, so my soul longs after you. It's that kind of desperation that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are those who do thirst and hunger for righteousness and there's a promise that they shall be filled. Blessed, oh happy is the one that 
thirst and hungers for righteousness. God, I want to know you, and I'm desperate to know you more. It's what Jeremiah the prophet spoke of when he made the statement from God where God says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me and I will be there. Notice there's that whole heart, there's that whole longing that God would come and meet us. You can write this down. Revival begins in our lives. A continual state of personal revival begins in our life with a sustained desire for a fresh touch from God. Now, notice I put the word in there, sustained. I, like many of you, have had moving times in corporate services where the music has been edifying, where the word has been challenging, and and I've made a commitment, if you will, or I've made a resolve in my heart, oh God, I want more of you. How many of you ever cried that out to God? But I find oftentimes that it is a one-time expression and desire. You see, personal renewal and revival comes with a sustained desire for God. What I've experienced in my own walk with him, sometimes when I have those flashing moments of desire, God is saying, no, J-Mo, that's just lip service. I want a real desire from you. And are you going to sustain that? Are you going to keep that up? Are you going to continue to draw to God for more? A sustained desire. One of the things that, that the psalmist does here is he he cries out in prayer to God. But as we read this last part of the passage, and if you read all of the psalm, you will recognize that, that there's a great desire that the psalmist is praying out over and over in the psalm where he's confessing his own failures, he's confessing his own sin, he's confessing his own lack of desire to know God more. You see, that, that beginning of personal revival and renewal in my heart and in your heart begins with a confession first, a repentance. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 66, verse 18. He said, if I had regarded or cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, Solomon says this, He says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. You see, our first recognition, my first recognition, can I put this in the first person? Because I'm preaching to me today. Y'all are just here to observe. You see, if I want daily, consistent renewal of revival in my life, it's got to start every single day with a confession and saying, God, search my heart. 
God, search my mind, search my motives. God, would you cleanse me and bring me to the place that I recognize how I've sinned against you. And God, I know you're true to your word that if I confess my sins, God, you're faithful to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And my daily time, your daily time needs to be, God, search my heart and know me. See, according to Isaiah here, he says that our iniquities have separated us between us and God. This question was posed in our material for our men's study, and the question is this. If God were to answer all the prayers that you've prayed in the last 12 months, would the world change? Now, let's bring it a little closer to home. If God were to answer all the prayers that you've prayed in the last 12 months, would your home change? If God were to answer all the prayers you've prayed in the last 12 months, would the world change or would you change? You see, prayer is such a necessity in our lives. And so often we run to prayer or we run in prayer making intercession for others, making intercession for our country, making intercession for our nation, making intercession for our family. And all of those are good, but what we can overlook is, God, would you search me and God, would you change me? The second thing we recognize in this passage in Psalm 119 is, first of all, he prays, God, give me a heart of prayer. How many of you are like me and you struggle in your prayer life? There, I just admitted it. We all do. We struggle in our prayer life. Let's be honest. And I don't care where we've arrived in that. We would all say we probably still struggle. And what I mean by struggle is sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Sometimes the tyranny, the urgent slips in and we don't spend time praying. Sometimes I have a message to prepare for and I don't spend time praying. Are you with me? But that has to be a priority in our life. It has to be a time that we know that we've set aside that we are going to meet with God. And God desires to connect with us in prayer. Prayer, I think, as I read the Scripture, is a lot more about relationship than it is about getting answers. Now, we pray and we seek God's wisdom. We pray and we seek answers from God. But when you get to the heart of prayer, what prayer is, is an expression of our relationship and our fellowship with God. Oftentimes, the illustration of a married couple is used in that. And we know that if a married couple is not in communication with one another, soon what happens is they may live in the same house, but there's no communication and there's no fellowship there. How many of you have experienced that at times in your marriage? You haven't? Oh, thank you. Okay. It's the same way with God, that God is concerned about a relationship. And as we express to God and we hear from God, what are we getting to know? We are getting to know the heart of God in all these matters. He cries out for a a heart that celebrates. First of all, 
He cries out for a heart that prayer. Secondly, he cries out for a celebration and praise, verses 171 and 172. He says, my lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Now here he's specifically talking about an expression of praise. And I'm not going to belabor some of the points I made last week in praise, but, but here's the point that when we are with God in relationship and prayer, when we recognize who God is, when the Word of God penetrates our heart, we cannot help but express a praise to God. Relating to corporate body life, here's what Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter to him, speaking to the church there. He says, I desire that in every place... The men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. And so Paul's expression is that in the context of the local body, when the church meets together, his desire, we can apply this to all of us, but as I said to the men Thursday night, men, he specifically said, I desire that the men, why? We should be the ones leading out in praise to God. Now, some of you cannot sing. I understand that. But I don't think God is concerned whether or not you're singing on pitch. See, what God's concerned about is the heart. And men, He calls us to not only be leaders in our homes, spiritual leaders in our homes, He calls us to be spiritual leaders in the body of Christ. And when we come together, it should not be that we sit back. An indication of us sitting back is that there may have been that there's not much working in the heart the week, Monday through Saturday, leading to Sunday, corporate worship and praise. The second thing he prays, not only, Lord, touch me, but he he prays and he asks God to teach him. Look at verses 173 to 175. He says, let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts or your commands. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules keep me. And what the the psalmist desire here is that God not only touch me, but God, would you teach me your ways? We have to recognize that, again, this is not just black ink on white paper. It is the very Word of God. And when we approach the Word of God, we have to recognize that God is wanting to speak to us through His Word. It doesn't matter what my opinion or my conjecture is, right? I always say, you can take my opinion if you want. You can take it, leave it, chuck it, or flush it. My opinion doesn't matter anything. What matters is what the Word of God says. And so as we approach God through His Word, first through prayer and praise, and through His Word, we need to recognize that God is wanting to speak to us, 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 me, through His Word. You see, it's hard for me to walk away from truth 
when I recognize that God is the one conveying it. Sandy can tell me something and I ignore it. But it's quite another thing to ignore what God says. Now, she has some sway over me, right? There's a lot of sway over me, actually. I might be the head, but she's the neck that turns the head, right? (laughs) But it's quite a different thing to recognize that thus saith the Lord. God says this. You see, we need the life of the Word of God flowing in us. We need personal, daily renewal and revival. When we look at the history of Israel, there was a a very marked time in the history of Israel, about 450 years B.C., that after the children of Israel had begun to be released from captivity of their 70 years in Babylon... There were three different exile groups that began to leave the land. They were permitted to go back to Israel and reestablish the city, reestablish their practice of worship. And a part of this third group was a guy by the name of Nehemiah, if you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah. There had already been two other waves of populace that had come out of captivity and gone back to Israel. The first one being the ones who had gone back supposedly to rebuild the temple, the place of worship. And sometime later, Nehemiah makes an inquiry as to what is taking place in Jerusalem. What's happening in Israel? What have they done, the other two groups, have they reestablished what we were taken away from in captivity 70 plus years ago? And he gets gets a report from the individual that had gone there, had seen it with their own eyes, and he begins to tell Nehemiah this, that the exile, those who survived the exile, are in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. You see, God's hand of delivering the nation of Israel from Babylon was not just to restore them back into geographical place so that they could rebuild their houses, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, and have a nice place to live. God's desire was that out of the exile experience, the captivity experience, that they would go back to Jerusalem and rebuild so that they might worship and know God. That was the purpose. And then when this came to Nehemiah, that, that everything was still in, 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 in rubble, that there was trouble and there was shame. Verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1 says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. God, you've delivered your people from captivity. God, you've enabled them to go back to their home place to rebuild so that they might again 
worship and commune with you in that place that you designated. God, you set them free from captivity, and they've gone there, and it's no better off. And God, it breaks my heart because, God, you love your people, and you so desire to be worshipped by your people, glorified by your people. And God, you desire to pour blessings out on your people. But God, that's not happening. And what does it say? For a long time, I wept and I prayed and I cried out. Some of us have been delivered from captivity and bondage of sin. And God has freed us and set us free. Yet we are living like we're still in exile and not taking advantage of, not desiring to, not wanting more of God. And God says, no, 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 I've called you out as a holy people to be salt and light. And the only way you're going to do this is if you're connected with me and growing with me. Now, notice what Nehemiah does right after this. Nehemiah first begins to confess the sins of the nation, of how the nation, remember, this is Israel. It was a theocracy. God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. By the way, in parentheses, America is not Israel. And he prays confesses the sins of the nation. And then he says this, even I and my father's house have sinned. Two things we see here in Nehemiah. Number one, that he's broken. Number two, that he prays out confessing Israel's sin and then confessing his own. Now, here's where some of you might get offended this morning. We will have personal revival where we stop confessing our nation's sin and start confessing our own sin. You see, it's easy for me to say those folks. And God says, what about you? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning, church? Some of us may be here, and and we may be expressing sorrow. We may be even expressing outrage at the state of our own nation, but we're not displaying brokenness over the state of our own soul. Some of us, just a few months ago, were expressing outrage over the state of the nation, but showed no brokenness with their own personal lives and sin. I'm talking to the church. Church, since about the mid-80s, the evangelical church has gotten their eye off the ball. Started back with the moral majority. 
and, and we thought in some way that if we got in bed with a particular party, then everything was going to be okay in the country. It did more to damage the evangelical church and the witness of the gospel than anything else in the 20th century because we got our eye off the ball. The ball is the mission that Jesus has given to us to win, disciple, and to sin. Notice in this story that King Exorcist was not the Messiah. Nehemiah goes to him and says, hey, King, would you help me go back so that I can rebuild the walls in Jerusalem? Would you give me letters that as I go through the land, I can, I'll, I'll be protected from those because I've got a letter from you that's allowing me to go back. And, and he pushes it and he says, King, there are a lot of forests in that area that, that we could sure use the timber from to rebuild the temple and the walls. Would you give me a note that gives me permission to take the resources that I need to rebuild that? And the king graciously grants it to him. The king did not deliver Israel. God delivered Israel. God used the king as an instrument for his purposes and his will, but the king was not the Messiah of the nation of Israel. Can I get an amen to that? So church, what I'm saying, and hear my heart, I love you. And, and guys, ladies, there's no political figure that's going to rescue us. We are of a different kingdom. We're of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, and He is our King. And his operation and principles are far different. His concern is for the body of Christ and us on mission because he desires that many would come into his kingdom so that on that day he might be glorified and magnified. Some may have taken issue with that. I'm not getting political. I'm just simply saying, folks, when you look through the history of Israel, God used those in authority to fulfill His will. And God places them there and God takes them out so that His will and His purposes might be accomplished. I, I, I shared this the other night with the men. And y'all, I, I have... I have literally traveled and spent time in the world, and I've spent time in communist countries where I've had to sneak through the border in order to get to a group of men who are pastors undercover, clandestine, because they know if they're caught, at minimum, they're going to spend time in a state-run prison and never see their family again. And Vanessa, you know, I've gone to some of these places in Eastern Europe through Luther Rice. Countries like Cuba, countries like Pakistan. But it's something every time I, I have gone to those places and I've spent time with the body of Christ, 
with the community of the body of Christ who recognize that Jesus is their king. I come away saying, I wish I had what they had. Sometimes, we see it in the life of Israel, sometimes God brought wicked kings and sometimes God gave righteous kings. Why? For His will and His purpose. And in this day, I'm no prophet, but I sense that God is doing something in the body of Christ or God wants to do something in the body of Christ. And COVID has been a part of it. And all the shaking up, the change, the unrest in our country, God's calling us to get back to Him. God's calling us to get back to Him and His mission. All right, enough on that. I'll start preaching. Notice this, though. After after Nehemiah left, and you think everything's going to be fine when he goes back to Israel to start construction, (laughs) but it wasn't fine. There were three individuals that caused him a lot of problems. There were two from the outside and one from the inside. There were ways of deception, division, and distraction that were used to try to take Nehemiah's eye off of what God was up to. And can I tell you this and warn you of this? That at the moment today, if you make a decision, God, I'm going to move on with you in personal daily renewal and revival. The enemy is going to come at you with the, in the places that he knows are your propensities and your weaknesses, and he's going to do everything he can to cause you to give up on day two. Lastly, he cries out, God transform me, verse 176. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. God, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I find this remarkable. He's just spent roughly 2,600 words in, in Psalm 119 expressing all of the righteousness of God, the knowing of God's Word and what it does and the desire to have that. And he concludes it by saying this, God, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. You see what he's done? He's looked inside. He's looked inside at his own heart. And, and he recognizes that he is capable and perhaps was in a backslidden state. Or he at least recognizes that if I'm not careful, I can be in that state in a, in a New York second. He acknowledges his backslidden state. Look what he says. God, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. We don't hear that word very often anymore, do we? Backslidden. God uses it. Proverbs chapter 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his own ways. Word backslidden, backsliding. The Hebrew that's used there means to turn away or to turn back. 
to deviate from or turning from an accepted or expected path of commitment. The psalmist here says, God, I have turned away. God, I have backslidden. It's where it begins in our lives for personal renewal and revival. God, I've backslidden. We often think of backsliding as something that happens over a long period of time, and then all of a sudden there's an altar call, and I make a rededication of my life. Remember those? (laughs) I got to confess every morning, Lord, I've backslidden. God, I've turned away from an acceptable or expected path of commitment. One can go from being mighty in the Scriptures to missing the shepherd before they know it. There's not a one of us in this room that is not in danger of making one decision that changes the course of our spiritual lives. Except for the grace of God, Paul says, there go I as well. Sometimes we're so worried about fixing other people when it's us that needs to be fixed. Let me put that in first person. Sometimes J-Mo's worried about fixing other people when it needs to start with J-Mo. He looks in and then he looks up. He says this. I love this phrase. God, seek your servant. You see, we're so depraved. We're so far from God such sinners that we cannot, we're not capable of seeking God on our own. If God does not draw us, then we cannot come. Billy Graham put it this way. He said that the Holy Spirit is the hound dog of heaven. Aren't you glad for that? Would you pray with me in closing this morning? God, would you seek your servant? God, because I know that that like a sheep, like a lost sheep, I can go astray at any moment. You might be here this morning and you recognize that you've gone astray. You may have all the fashion of Christianity. You may be in attendance every time the church doors are open. You might, whatever it is, but the heart's not there. And you know this morning that, that, that you need, what, what, what we need is, is a touch from God and that He would lead us and that He would transform us. Father, I pray that, God, the words that I have spoken would, would penetrate my heart first, God. God, I want to know you more. God, sometimes I feel like I desire it so much that I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to lose my mind. God, I believe in these times, God, you wanting to renew and revive the body of Christ. Lord, you're desiring to shift our focus back to the principles of your kingdom, knowing that we're citizens of heaven. God, we do pray for our nation, God. God, we pray for us as your children, God, as those who profess to be followers of Christ.
God, make that happen in me by the Holy Spirit. God, seek me. And God, would I be responsive to you, Lord? Father, we beseech you, God. We ask you to do this. Lord, start in each and every one of us individually. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.